Paceline is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin, Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, buddy, I, you know, we always start on uh, a, a note of weather, and I'm sorry to do this, but uh, dude, how's the air? The air is confusing. And I'll tell you why. Uh, so people who uh, are unaware, I am in Boston, uh, which is in the province of New England on the eastern <laughs> seaboard of the North American continent. And currently there are hundreds of wildfires burning in Nova Scotia uh, and Quebec, uh, which is north and west of me, uh, which is the direction our weather comes from most of the time. Um, it, I learned yesterday that there are 240 fires in Canada that are that are currently um, out of control status. Good grief. 240. Suddenly, I feel not quite so badly about California. Yeah, it's a very strange thing. So <clears throat> what uh, what that amounts to for us is you look up in the sky and you can look directly at the sun because there is a pronounced smoky haze. But at ground level here, I have not detected any real problems and there aren't a lot of air quality warnings going out. Uh -huh. They seem they they seem to be south and west of us okay it's as if the fire the smoke is going around us so we see it but like i rode yesterday i did a road ride yesterday and i detected no problems uh i did a mountain bike ride for several hours this morning and I had read, I was trying to understand, like, should I be riding my bike right now? Is it actually, uh -huh. am I, am I harming myself by doing that? Yep. Um, no problem. So, um, the air quality here, th there's a very serious air quality issue in the Eastern States, but I, I think like New York city is worse than Boston by far. Mm -hmm. Uh, and also a lot of Pennsylvania. I don't know why. Weather, wind, uh, complicated things. I'm just a simple man. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, having been there, you know, having suffered our own fires and then having caught the air from other fires, you know, like the Paradise Fire, which was incredible. Um, I've, you know, I've had that thing where, like, I look outside and the sun can be stared at directly and is red. Right. Uh, and then I pull up 
one of, I think, three different air quality apps I've got on my phone <clears throat> and then begin working to triangulate. OK, well, I, it looks like I can't ride an Anadale um, and it looks like I probably shouldn't ride south to Sonoma. Um, maybe I can drive out to Occidental and ride the trails there. <laughs> it's um it can be a real challenge, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, touch wood, we have not had that. We have not had the a very serious, pardon me, issue here in Boston yet. And I feel for everybody who is dealing with it. Uh, it's, it's just not fun. No, 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 it's not awesome, but it feels very much of our present and our future, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I, I, I almost made a book recommendation and, and maybe I'll save that for a, a pick sometime. Um, yes. What do you have today? So we've had a big week at TCI. I turned my poll from last week, which a friend of mine said was less like a poll and more like a rant uh, <laughs> about the current state of economics within the bike industry. I turned that into a post and that post exploded. Uh, it's had over 18,000 reads this week, um, <laughs> which just tells you, yeah, uh, which just tells you how many people are interested in buying a cheap bike. Um, simultaneously, I had a nice note from our friend John in Michigan, mm. uh, who comes up with a lot of good questions for us to discuss. And in it, he wondered, given the runaway train of discounting going on in bike shops across the U.S. right now, what sorts of things other than bikes people should consider investing in right now oh yeah uh this i think is a great question because not everyone wants or needs a new bike uh or can afford a new bike even if it's on sale so what else could you or should you consider spending your money on right now mm -hmm. <clears throat> in my other work uh my copious other work i do a fair amount of research uh in the wheel space uh, so understanding what's out there, what's good about it, why it costs what it costs, etc. What I can tell you is that right now there are a ton of excess wheel sets in the supply chain, too. <laughs> Everything from cheap pre-built wheels to hubs and rims waiting to be made into custom sets. If you've already got a bike or bikes you love, then probably, and I, I'm... I think you'll agree with me on this. The biggest bang for buck upgrade you can make is a new wheel set. No question. No question, right? Yeah. The prices for carbon wheels have come down quite a bit in recent seasons. Uh, mm. And simultaneously, there is new technology at the top of the market. Mm -hmm. One of the projects I've been working on uh, involves rims made with a new thermoplastic called fusion fiber. Huh. Okay. A few different companies are using fusion fiber in their own wheel programs now, and those are pretty cool because uh, the the resulting rims are more compliant than traditional carbon wheels. Uh-huh. And the rims are also recyclable. Oh. Right. 
So the old in the old world, if you broke a carbon anything, it was garbage and it went in the landfill and it lived in that landfill literally forever. <laughs> yeah. Um now uh with fusion fiber, um they can uh chip that stuff, uh heat it and make it into new stuff. Like tire levers, for example. Huh. So the the carbon footprint for a set of carbon fiber wheels uh, doesn't have to be quite as odious as it has been all along. I've been working with Chris King on their versions of this thing, uh, but Evil also has some. And CSS Composites, the company that makes fusion fiber, also has an in-house wheel program. So... Those are out and available and interesting. One of the consequences of these fusion fiber rims entering the top of the market is that traditional carbon fiber rims have come down in price. Uh, the technologies that produce them are well established, and companies like Envy, Zip, and some others are in the market now with budget-friendly versions of their top-end wheels. Mm -hmm. um, I would wager that for most cyclists you won't notice the difference between their top end and budget friendly version. Yeah. I, I mm -hmm. Yeah. Our sponsor Shimano has a carbon wheel set at one Oh five level. Uh, that is just over a thousand bucks, <laughs> which makes you wonder why would I buy a high end alloy wheel set? <laughs> um, well you do that because really good alloy wheels live under the thousand dollar price point now. Uh, so they're still budget friendlier, and in most cases, those wheels will be more durable for larger riders or those who who are particularly rough on their stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, there are a slew of wheel companies who are buying open mold rims from Asia and offering carbon fiber disc wheels with budget hubs for crazy prices. I'm not high on those. Uh, I, I don't recommend them for a few reasons. First, I don't know anything about the rim quality. And neither do you. Second. <laughs> True second, statement, folks. Yeah. Second. Well, the just as a brief digression, digression, the name of the game in carbon fiber durability is um, void. Yeah. If there are voids, uh, little pockets of air within the layup, that is a failure point. So cheap carbon fiber may be full of voids uh, and may turn into a useless piece of garbage in short order. You just don't know. Well, and it doesn't even have to be a void with air. It can just be resin with no carbon. That's correct. still a void. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that, uh, and, and I think you'll agree with me on this, really the hub makes the wheel. We focus a lot on rims. But in my opinion, the hub makes the wheel. I see on the look on your face, you don't agree with me. A cheap there, hub is probably not going to roll very well or last very long. In my opinion, that's, yeah. and, and I'm not about that. Well, yeah, uh, I, I would almost uh, assert contractual obligation on your part. You have a certain um, professional uh, inherited bias. Um, Sure, I, I can I can accept that. But I, I I'm not I saying hold ribs are unimportant. Right, right. Um, uh, um, 
I mean, a real flaw in either one can be just deadly. Uh, but if you want to go fast, you've got to have a rim with the right shape. Sure. I guess what I'm saying where the hub is is the most important is that I think we know what the right shape hub is. I think we know what the right material is. And so it's not. Um, I don't think it's a great challenge to produce those. Whereas it's just expensive, it's expensive. Whereas the technologies that go into hubs, uh, which are also which can also be expensive, mm -hmm. uh, your bearings, um, your drive system, uh, these things, I think, have a great like assuming you can equalize that rim, the hub becomes and I'm not just talking about as you ride down the road today, I'm talking about as you ride, ride down the road or the trail over a deck, the period of a decade. Yeah. I think having the a good hub, I don't want to recommend anything to anyone that they're not going to have for a long time. Mm -hmm. I expect to have a wheel set 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to invest in proven products. Also a cheap wheel set won't have a lot of room for discount because they're already cheap. Uh, the current state of inventory on Planet Bike means you can get really, really good stuff, investment grade stuff for much less than you'll be able to next season when everyone has blown out their inventory and corrected their projections. Yeah. If I had money to spend and didn't want or need a new bike, I'd be wheel shopping right now. In fact, I am wheel shopping right now. Oh, interesting. Yes. I'll be yes. Very curious to hear what you settle upon. Uh, what what classification of use are you shopping for? Because that makes a big difference. I am going to, I believe, add a new set of mountain bike wheels ah. to my to my twenty nine er wheels. Yeah, you know. So to add a little wrinkle to what you were talking about, uh, you know, with with road wheels. Uh, the quality of the bearings and the, and the aerodynamics of the rim make a big difference with a mountain bike wheel set. As long as the rim is strong, what you really care about is the hub. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's enough difference in the quality of bearings that um, I can detect when I'm on a slower uh, bearing or set of wheels. Um, when I'm on, uh, when I've done a fast descent into a sharp rise, how far my momentum carries me up that rise uh, will be influenced noticeably by the quality of bearings. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and it, it can be a difference of like 20 feet before I have to start pedaling. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. The other thing, the other thing that I think people get wrong about wheels is they focus on a wheel set's weight quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but where most of the weight in a wheel set is at the hub, mm -hmm. uh, you're not spinning up that weight. Yeah, you have to accelerate it, but you don't, yeah, you don't have to get it spinning, which is an entirely different matter yeah so there's the raw weight of a wheel set where you know a pound matters mm -hmm. uh 
But if the rims are of roughly equal weight and one hub is heavier than the other, you probably won't notice very much because you're not moving that weight. Yeah. Uh, One of the weird things that I've noticed is that, you know, it used to be when you shopped for a wheel set, you had to look at all of the tech specs very carefully because usually, you know, a, uh, a fairly expensive, but not uber expensive wheel set would have like one, one noticeable flaw in it. There'd be something in there. It's like, eh, that's not my fit, you know, round spokes instead of bladed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, uh, really the, the thing, those tiny little details like weight, um, or what sort of spokes they're using, you don't have to worry about that. The the companies making high-end wheel sets are so obsessive. They're, you know, they're populated with people who did obsess over those details, who treat those wheel sets as if they were their own children and are, you know, hell-bent on making the very best product they can. And as a result, you know, if that wheel set could have been lighter, it would be so. You know, a pair of Zip 404s, it can't be that good and be any lighter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's the classic um, triangle, right? Like uh, light, fast, durable. Mm-hmm. Pick two of them. Yeah. Um, most people are... Someone smart said to me one time that no good engineering focuses on one characteristic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All good engineering balances positive characteristics. That's what it does. Mm-hmm. So when you focus on weight and you only focus on weight, you get a thing that's not very durable. That's just material science, unfortunately. Yeah. And we can discover carbon fiber and say, oh, this is as strong at lower weights. That's great. You can do that. Um, so you can make those sort of paradigm jumps. But ultimately, in a carbon fiber rim, for example, if you make it lighter, you make it less durable. And if you make it heavier, you make it more durable. That's just how the sliders work. Right. And if it's super aerodynamic, there's more material in the rim, so it's going to be a little heavier. Right. Yeah. Right. There's just no avoiding that. Yeah. Weight weight issues are one of my personal pet peeves. I hate them so much. It's such a facile way to think about bikes and bike components. And it's the problem is that it's not that it doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. It's just that it is one of a myriad of factors that you should consider. Yeah. Well, and, you know, pretty much across the board in the industry, people pay attention to weight. You know, we don't have to pay attention to it because they're not paying attention to it. They they pay attention now so that we don't have to. No longer do we have products like Campy Delta Brakes, which was the single heaviest and least effective brake simultaneously. I mean, there just aren't any really stupid products that I'm coming across, at least not from major manufacturers. Yeah, if you encounter a bike uh, component or accessory that's stupid, it's stupid because it is very cheap. Mm Mm-hmm. 
The person who has produced it has only produced, they've only focused on the price of the thing. So there's no thought that's gone into it. It's just supposed to look like the thing that is, you know, like a dual suspension bike you would buy at Walmart, for example. (laughs) There's no reason for, you know, they're just trying to make a thing that looks like the thing that you want as cheaply as they possibly can. It's a piece of absolute garbage. Yep. Yep. It has, you know, it's a dumb thing to produce. Well, and its uh, success depends on hoodwinking the customer, which to me is just ethically untenable. Agree completely. Yeah. Uh, to your question um, about other stuff that, or, or uh, shadow producers uh, question, other stuff that people ought to be watching for. There are an awful lot of uh, specials on helmets now. An awful yes. lot of helmets, you know, and, yeah. you know, yeah, your wheel set, you know, a good wheel set will last you a good 10 years, maybe longer. Your helmet should not last you 10 years. UV damage is a thing. Uh, if you get five years out of a helmet, great, wonderful, congratulations. Uh, time to replace it. Uh, you know, if if the uh, if the the color in the helmet has faded, guess what? <laughs> that's like your turkey thermometer. Boop. <laughs> I wish they had turkey thermometers. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, your helmet popped. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen specials from Giro of 50% off stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's not their most current product, but 50% off. Yeah. The helmet I ride, the Fox, the mountain bike helmet I ride, which is the Fox speed frame is on sale as well. Interestingly, I've been looking around for various little bits of apparel uh, to fill in my already bloated uh, cycling apparel library, and there's a lot that is sold out. Uh, So it seems as though the product managers in the apparel lines were a little more on top of the shifting sands than the producers of uh, bikes and components. Talking to a few people, it sounds like apparel didn't experience quite the tsunami, you know, and resulting, you know, pullback of the tide from the beach. It didn't go through as as up and down a wave as like bikes did. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm not really surprised. And traditionally, you know, by the time you get to June, they do want to be, you know, at at the distribution centers. They want to be sold out of their summer gear by early June, they want it to be in the shops. Um, but I don't know what that means for online pricing versus, uh, in shop pricing. I haven't kept an eye on that with regard to retailers lately. So that could be, um, an interesting point of research for, uh, motivated consumers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Paceline is underwritten by Shimano North America. That means they help us pay for software and hosting and the M&Ms in our dressing rooms. Shimano are also nice enough to let us talk about them in our own voices and from our own experiences. For example, I did a lot of research on Shimano road wheels when I was putting together complete bike packages when I was at 7 Cycles. We turn to Shimano wheels because they're rock solid, affordable, and readily available. The wheel market is full of fantastic options. 
Shimano's wheels often fly under the radar. You should really check them out. They have killer carbon fiber wheels at the 105 level now, the C32 and C46. And of course, if you're shooting for the stars, you can get the C36 and C50 at Altegra and Dura-Ace levels. See them all at road.shimano.com. Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you got for us this week? Our listeners may not be surprised. Uh, uh, last weekend, I drove up to Wente Scout Camp in Mendocino County for my favorite bike event on the planet. Uh, and it was fun to say that to some people who were showing up for Wente for the first time. I'm like, oh, you're at my absolute favorite bike event ever. And they're like, really? It's, it's that? And I was like, oh, yeah. Be prepared for fun, um, which is a funny thing to say to somebody on the front end of a bike race. Uh, so while there are people who drive up that morning and then drive home after the race is over, uh, a feat I can't really don't really want to imagine. I do like making a weekend of it, as most of us seem to do. Camping at the Scout Reservation Friday and Saturday nights and then doing a ride on Sunday before leaving because there are more trails at Wente than just what's used in the race course. And unless you do a trail weekend helping to build new trails, you don't get to ride any of those other trails other than that weekend. Yeah. Uh, so as I've discussed in previous episodes, Wente is put on by Bike Monkey and isn't like other mountain bike races. It's like a shortened 24-hour race. It's only eight hours long, which is silly long, but doable. Uh, the start comes at 8 a.m. Riders have eight hours to do laps and they have until 5 p.m., nine hours, not actually eight, uh, so long as they start their last lap before 4 p.m. The course at Wente is unlike other race courses I've done, and this is really the key to my love for it, because there's but a short dirt road section and almost the entire rest of the course is single track and flowy single track at oh, that. those are my two favorite kinds yes <laughs> several sections feature stretches that can be pumped and every single switchback on the course is bermed even the ones that you're going uphill on and those berms you know if you're going well you'll use the berm on the uphill switchbacks um it, the course is an eight-mile loop with about 1,200 feet of climbing per lap, which puts it in the 150 feet per mile territory. That, friends, is a lot of climbing. I can say that I've never ridden a course that is more technically challenging, nor one that is more entertaining. Uh, each of the sections features their own rhythm, and upon exiting the single track for the access road run back to the start-finish, there are people cheering and they're blasting good tunes. And then there's a several hundred yard gauntlet of racers and families and off leash kids screaming, <laughs> shaking cowbells and occasionally spraying the racers with hoses. Um, I don't actually go in for that because I end up with monkey butt um, moving right along. It was a gorgeous day Saturday, mostly clear skies at the start temperatures in the high fifties. Uh, and not much humidity. I lined up at the back of the field. I don't mean just like toward the back. I made sure I was the dead last person sitting in that group there. Now, it's funny that some people just were like several minutes late to the start. Um, 
there's no real harm in that, but it was kind of funny that like you've got this big a day and you didn't. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> um, I knew I wanted to roll out easy and not get caught up in the excitement. Um, and I've proven that I'm quite adept at getting caught up in the excitement that all we, humans are. That's yeah. just a natural. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, it, we're all going fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. Um, yeah. And like I said, I rolled out easy. And when I hit the big climb that punctuates the beginning of each lap, well, John, do you remember in The Empire Strikes Back when Han Solo goes to make the jump to light speed in the Millennium Falcon and it makes the sad trombone sound of shoom, shoom, shoom? Yes. Well, um, that's what my legs did. Yep. Uh, there was nothing there. It was as if I had no muscles, just an aerobic system. My aerobic system was like, yeah, let's do this. And my legs were like, what? No, just let me see. I've had this happen before on big days. Two years in a row at Levi's Grand Fondo, my legs didn't turn on until about mile 60. My working theory is that I didn't get my recovery right prior to the race. Or maybe more accurately, I think I recovered well enough that my legs got, as some pros call it, sleepy. Um, I needed some hard efforts, what one coach I, I know uh, has always referred to as openers. Uh, ah. I needed some hard efforts the day before to get me ready. I think, I mean, this is, we're talking working theories here. Sure, you know? sure. Um, I took short breaks to fuel up between my first three laps. And after my third lap, I sat down on a camp chair and ate a leisurely lunch. That's doing it right. Yeah. Uh, when I went out for my fourth lap, despite the fatigue of 24 miles in my legs, <laughs> it's funny to say this, they actually felt better. <laughs> there was some power there. I, you know, I at least had some strength. I could really kind of push on the pedals. And that... It, true it was just a, a kinda it wasn't yeah. a full-on but there was something there that hadn't been there earlier the question of course is how many laps did i get uh did i go out again and the answer is yes i took another longish break maybe 45 minutes and then went out for a fifth lap and on my fifth laps uh fifth lap <laughs> my legs felt even better <laughs> I had more strength than I did on any other lap. It was the darndest thing. Uh, so between my slow lap times and my two long breaks, there wasn't time for a sixth lap. Had my legs felt on my first lap the way they felt on my fifth lap, I'd have gotten six, uh, which I know is the opposite of what most people would say. You know, everyone wants to banish fatigue and ride every lap like it's their first. You know, oh, if I could have ridden each lap like my last, I'd have done more than one lap. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, one more lap. Uh, it was. Yeah, that's not a thing that happens, except it does. I am reminded of Christian Vandeveld in the 2008 Tour de France, where he went out for a short ride on the second rest day 
And the next day, I believe on the Col de la Cayole, he got dropped, and that's why he finished fourth and not on the podium. Um, uh, Jonathan Vauders had, had warned him, don't do just three hours. That's a short ride to a Tour de France rider on a rest day. Right. Yeah. He said, don't do a short ride. Go out and, you know, do some real miles. Otherwise, your legs will shut down the next day. And his legs shut down. Yeah. I mean... Jonathan, uh, 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 Vanneville's legs shutting down would still have seen him drop most of the world on that climb. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, but anyway, back to my little experience. Honestly, I'm really happy with the day. I had fun. I saw friends. I rode amazing trails, ate yummy snacks that I'd made, uh, and spent roughly 48 hours in nature. It's a win on every level. There was a full moon that night after the race and staring in the moonlight reflecting on the lake there at the camp. I was just filled with a sense of wonder for the world we live in and was genuinely glad to be alive to experience that place, uh, those people, that event. And, um, you know, I was 35th out of 45 racers who actually started the day. I think there were like another 10 who didn't for whatever reason come. Um, but I am telling you, I won. Sure. Uh, I want to give out uh, a shout out to Kevin Smallman, who is both the brains and the brawn uh, behind the trail system at Wente. Kevin was a scout who went there as a kid, then became a counselor there after earning his eagle and talked the leadership into letting him build his first trail in 2005. What Kevin has done is remarkable. He's put in thousands of hours there for no reason other than he loves mountain biking. Um, and then on Sunday, uh, Jennifer and I went and rode one of Kevin's other creations, a trail called Best Day So Far. And I tell you, sometimes there is truth in advertising. <laughs> well, congratulations. That... Um that sounds like you had a fantastic time. You know, other than the biologic, uh, whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this, uh, maybe we're just getting older, you and me, but I think, you know, some days you have it and some days you don't. And if your enjoyment of bike riding depends on having it, you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, that, yeah, that was exactly the case. You know, I, I would have had a miserable day if I was um, uh, if I was dedicating myself to like a top 10 or something. That would have been a horrible, horrible day. Um, but I was there to enjoy myself. And, you know, here's the thing. Five laps. I rode 40 miles on one of my favorite trail systems. Uh, you know, perhaps my favorite trail system on the entire planet. Um, how is that not a win? Right. You know, and you know, one of the other things, the first two years of Wente, um, or the first two years I went there, uh, cause I went the first year and the third year, um, some, some folks were kind of a-holes as they passed. Um, there was one teenager who like doesn't yet understand the social contract. Everybody else thanked me 
as I would pull over. I'd hear him coming up behind me. I'd say, hey, I hear you. I'm looking for a spot. And then I'd see a spot and I'd say, okay, I'm going left. And I'd pull out and they'd come by and they'd be like, hey, thanks. You know, it takes a special sort of event to see the quality of politeness of participants rise over time. That doesn't happen just anywhere. And, you know, I, again, I attribute this to uh, Carlos and Bike Monkey Man um, and all his uh, multitude of volunteers. I think it's true. I think race promoters and organizers, they set a tone, Mm -hmm. you know, like you, you, you're maybe not completely aware of it, but they do. They set a tone. Uh, The quality of volunteers uh, depends on that tone and that spirit. And it really makes an event or breaks it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, for a while there, I thought I was going to be switching years between Wente and Unbound. I've I've had two experiences at Unbound and it was wonderful and awesome. But I think unless I persuade myself by some method to go to lost and found, which is a gravel event also here in California that is, has just as good a reputation. Um, I, I just, I don't ever want to miss, miss Wente. Yeah. That's, that's how special it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, when the rat presses the bar and gets a food pellet, Usually what the rat does is press the bar again for more food pellets. <laughs> and it seems like Wente is your pellet. It's a it's a solid pellet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a delicious one. Yeah. Yeah. Why run in the maze when you can just press that bar over and over again? I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I'm pressing the bar so I can run in the maze. We yeah, should I probably stop right. the metaphor there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to paceline picks. What do you say? Yeah. I'm down. Um, So my pick this week isn't really a pick in the sense that I'm recommending a product you'd go out and buy. Instead, I just want to talk about a singular product, a thing so good and so compelling that it's more or less taken over the industry. Mm. You think you're buying this product from someone else, uh, maybe even a hundred someone else's, but it actually comes from one company and that company is specialized. Mm hmm. Now, I'm pretty hard on the big bike companies. I don't, if I'm honest, like them. I think they're bullies and I think they're anti-competitive. And you know me, I'm I'm not into popular things anyway, (laughs) Uh, just on principle. But doesn't mean they're doesn't mean they're not good. Uh, The specialized purist water bottle in its various forms has become the water bottle, the one in the picture in the dictionary. Mm hmm. The purist has this, I guess it's a technology, although that's a little hard to wrap my mind around, but it has this technology, which is a glass-like coating on the interior of the bottle that isolates what you're drinking from the exterior plastic. Mm -hmm. The plastic is BPA-free, so that's a good thing, but it's really this purist coating that makes the bottle what it is. Um, They will tell you that it will never taste like bottle, Uh, It will always taste like whatever you're drinking and that's it. And I find that to be pretty true. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also specialized, highly efficient and competent custom program for these bottles. Yep. 
Uh, as I said, I don't like the big bike companies, but they undoubtedly make good stuff. And the purest water bottle is one of those things that has quietly and comprehensively taken over. Flip your water bottle, your water bottle over, uh, and squint your eyes. You'll probably see that squiggly S logo on the bottom. And you thought you bought it from, you know, DC McGillicuddy's bike shack. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Know. It's funny that you should make this pick right now because uh, one of the things you get with your entry uh, at Wente is a commemorative Wente water bottle along with the T-shirt. And what is the water bottle? It's a purist bottle. Yes. And I was actually talking to people about how pleased I was that Carlos makes the extra little investment to buy good water bottles because there have been so many uh, so many centuries I've been to over the years where they got the the cheapest you know who knows made where uh water bottle with the leak cap and the bad threads and you know stamped the name on there in black and you know it just shoddy presentation cheap product and they just end up going in the trash um camelback has done a good job with their bottles but it's still not the purest bottle yeah, there are other good bottles out there. Uh, I have just been completely blown away by how universal the purist is. And the, so the purist refer, refers to this technology. And they the other thing that's interesting is that this bottle, that bottle is actually made in California. Mm -hmm. um, they do purist. So I think Specialized has split Purist off into its own business unit, and they do make stainless steel bottles that come from Asia uh, with the Purist coating on the inside. Uh, but the plastic bottles, my understanding is that they are both designed and made in California, which is, hey, good job. Yeah, yeah. They've also made it really easy to order a custom bottle. You know, the, Absolutely. the specs are, are simple, you know, your ability to deliver the file. You don't have to mail them a SideQuest disc. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And they come quickly. I mean, I've ordered, I, you know, in, at previous companies, I have ordered them, you know, I let us run out for some reason. And then I was like, oh no, I need two cases on the hurry up. And they came in two weeks. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they're just really good at what they do, which is part of why I, I dislike them probably, but there it is. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, you know, I know people at specialized. Uh, I like most of their products. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for the sort of culture that they have in terms of uh, inspiring their employees to work hard at what they do. Um, but their business practices are pretty abhorrent. Yeah. So I'm, it's, uh, like, like everything on this planet, you know, it's a mixed bag. Everything's complicated. Nothing simple and straightforward, except for the love of your, oh wait, no, not even the love of your kids. That's not straightforward. <laughs> well, the way I love my kids is straightforward, but their response to me is, you know, have we discussed teens? This is Paceline Picks, not oh. family therapy session. Okay, right. Moving right <laughs> along. Uh, my pick this week is what I believe is the best value in mountain bikes going. It's from a company that isn't well known, is, <laughs> for that matter, it's probably even barely known, called Eleven. 
Uh, in their spelling, the L in 11 is replaced with two numeral ones. Um, 11 produces a few mountain bikes, a few hybrids, and a few e-bikes, and all of their bikes are incredible values. Uh, my pick is their M1 by 11, which is a hardtail 29er. It sports uh, an aluminum frame, a 100 millimeter fork, uh, and a microshift 11 speed drivetrain. Uh, microshift is not well known because they can't get any OE spec, but the stuff works well. It's not Shimano grade, but it works perfectly well. And a lot of times, you know, for a similarly priced bike, the microshift micro shift stuff is better than what you're seeing from Shimano in that price range. Um, at first glance, the M1x11 doesn't look like much. Just another mountain bike in the $1,000 to $2,000 price range. The thing is, the pricing on the M1x11, and I, really, they should do something about that name. Um, but the pricing is hard to believe. When I was shipped the bike uh, earlier this year, it was priced at $899. Um, be, as we've discussed, there have been a lot of discounts in the bike industry. Uh, there has since been a price cut, and it is now priced at $699. Purists are going to quibble over the top tube length, the head tube angle, the presence of quick-release skewers as opposed to through axles, and you know, one or, one or two other details, like the 80-millimeter stem. Uh, the thing is, while all of those details could easily be changed. This bike wouldn't be $899 or even $1099 if you did those things. Priced at $699, it's the best deal in an entry-level mountain bike on the market. I mean, 20 years ago, I couldn't get anything that would compete with this bike in this price range. I've already reviewed the uh, 11 M1 by 11 for the Cycling Independent. Um, where listeners can read more about this bike and how this little company can produce a bike at such a stunningly low price. Uh, there will be a link in uh, a link to the review in our show notes, and you can find 11 at 11bike.com. That's E-1-1-E-V-E-N bike.com. All righty, John, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Lime. Uh, uh, later today, I'm heading off for the E-Revolution slash Big Gear Show in Denver, and uh, we'll be traveling for a few days after that. Um, so I don't see us being able to shoehorn in making another episode next week. All right, I'll take the week off. Maybe I'll ride a bike. Hmm. Yeah, use that, use that vacation time. Yeah. Uh, this is where we ask you to subscribe if you haven't already. Go ahead. Do us a solid. Click that button now and send us some questions. Uh, do like John, the shadow producer. Uh, if you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments. Also, if you haven't already check out our other podcasts like revolting, which lives up to its name in some ways, but is highly entertaining. And uh, the long way home, uh, which will feature a new episode coming out soon um i've got it all recorded uh it features written work read by the author it's more audible than fresh air maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us it makes it more likely other people will listen in constructive criticism is also welcome
Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. 